my friends, and welcome back to the GamerNode Show. This is Eddie Inzato, Editor-in-Chief of GamerNode.com and your host of the GamerNode Show. This is episode 81, where I'll be taking a dive into Feudum from Mark Swanson and Oddbird Games. So, I've already published a lot about this game when I had that early copy. You can check out the videos on YouTube at youtube.com slash GamerNode. And you'll see a lot of rules explanation as well as a playthrough, a three-player playthrough of the first couple of eras of the game. But um, this is meant to be my review of the final production retail copy or Kickstarter copy if you were one of the backers of either of the two Kickstarters put on by Oddbird Games and designer Mark Swanson. And I have to say, not a whole lot has changed. The game is essentially identical as far as I can remember, except the quality of the components is excellent. It is production quality. And I guess we could start right there, uh, jump into this review with talking about the production quality of this game. And it is really just an absolutely beautiful production. Um, it does come in a box that is way too big for it, and it has a bunch of expansions that come in boxes that are all way too big for them, and the intention there was to make something of a mural of all of the boxes stacked vertically, like next to each other with a bit on top, and it was a good idea, but I don't think anyone actually puts their games out that way. I think we all put our games on the shelf, either stacked up or or lined up vertically. So I would have, right off the bat, I'm going to be a little negative about that, I would have liked to have seen just a more reasonable box. Um, however, there is one reason that the main game box is so big. I guess you could shrink down those expansions, throw them all into this big box, but... Um, and they do all fit. Uh, they fit very easily, even with a very large and beautiful insert that the box comes with. But the reason the box is so big is because Feudum comes with a very, very large and very impressive game board that uh, opens up like an accordion. So it just has three vertical creases, and it just folds up. It's very long. It's a uh, you know, short from top to bottom, but very wide from, from left to right. And the reason for that is because on this board, you have a large map area in the center of this land that all the players will be competing in during the course of the game, um, with the ocean area, islands, uh, hills area, desert, some mountains, um, just a, a vast sprawling landscape. And then on either side, either end of this long board, you have three guild areas that depict a particular type of character, like the knight, the noble, the monk, the farmer, the merchant, or the alchemist. There's a beautiful artwork of these characters with areas that show spaces for various cubes or influence markers, or uh, king seals, or rosary beads, just a variety of things that players will be using and manipulating throughout the game to, to adjust the game's economy, as well as score points and um, hold on to majorities in their control over these different guilds. And we'll get to that. But uh, I'm, I'm really not going to be talking too much about 
the specifics of the rules. I just want to give like a general overview before I talk about just my final feelings about the game. So generally in the game, players are going to be trying to score veneration points, and this happens at a number of points throughout the game. It's separated into five eras, and at the end of each era, there's sort of a scoring phase where each player will earn points based on their status in each of these six guilds, you know, whether they have a certain value of influence in each guild and the highest player earns the most points and then the next highest and so forth. Um, And then also with their control, I want to say their influence in locations across the board. And you generally kind of want to have little influence markers in either these outposts or farms or towns or feudums in the different locations on the board, the different in the different areas on the board. So there are six general areas that I was describing earlier, the water, the islands, the that that whole bit. And within each of those areas are basically stops along the roads. And at each of those stops there's a disc and the disc is flipped face up at the beginning of the game, and it will show either any one of those three things, uh, an outpost or a farm or a town, or finally a feudum. Those come into play later. And players will not only be able to have control of those areas for the purposes of scoring throughout the game, but also for the purposes of taking different actions, and having control of these places will also matter. They will count toward uh, the different guilds. There are six guilds and three types of locations, and each type of location will apply to membership in two out of the six guilds. So there's there's some sort of equality there. But um, another important thing is that you'll be taking actions throughout the game. You can basically move one out of your three pawns out onto the board, and each pawn is a six-sided cube that you choose uh, whether it will be any of those six guild people, like it'll be either the monk or the farmer or the merchant or the alchemist or the noble or the knight, and you'll be able to take other actions later based upon what symbol you have showing on those pawns. So you can you can essentially migrate one of your pawns out onto the board. You can move your pawns on the board based on the number of pawns you have out. So if you have three pawns out, you can move three spaces. It's a lot like Concordia. It actually This game actually has a lot of similarities to Concordia because these actions you will be playing throughout the game come from 11 cards that you have in your hand from the start of the game. And each round of the game, you will be selecting four of these actions out of the 11 prior to the beginning of the action phase. So you're going to have to, it's sort of like programming in a way. You're choosing the actions that you have available to you, four out of the 11, and then players will take turns laying down their actions one at a time. So these are cards that you're choosing. Uh, There's the migrate out card, the move card, which I said. And then you can um, influence, if you have your pawn at an area, you'll add an influence marker to one of those outpost farms or towns. Um, Then there's the upgrade action, the improve action, I think it's called, where you will improve them from an outpost to a farm, or from a farm to a town, or from a town to a feudum. Um, And then you can do a harvest action, which gets you goods at a farm. You can do a tax action, which gets you money at a town. You have to have influence in, in these in order to take these actions. 
and you have the explore action which lets you take these royal writ cards which are either sort of immediate actions that you can use later in the game or they're kind of like end game scoring opportunities where you, it, they want you to have a certain number of locations influenced in a certain section of the map so it's more of that map presence as you play the game so if you get a lot of these royal writs by taking these outpost explore actions you'll be able to compound your points at the end of the game then you can of course in this euro game use the conquer action which makes you use one of your pawns or a monster you can control to attack one of your opponent's pawns or, or one of their feudums. And then there's a defend card which you can keep in your hand just in case you get attacked. Then there is uh, a repeat card which lets you double up on a, on a particular action that you've already done that round. And some of them you can, some of them you can't. It's, it's interesting. And then finally the guild action which is like pretty much half the game in a lot of cases. Um, and this guild action when you play this card, it lets you interact with any one of the six guilds, and you can either do a basic action where you kind of like pay money to those guilds and get some stuff, or if you have influence in that guild, then you can do one of a couple of things as well. So if you are the guild master, you can take either goods or barrels or, or whatever's in that guild, maybe a rosary bead, maybe a a uh, royal seal, you will then push that, is what it's called, it's called pushing those goods into the next guild in a clockwise fashion around the board, and based on how many you move and what you kind of fill up in the next guild, you will earn points instantaneously when you take that guild action. And then the same thing applies to you being the sort of second place, the journeyman in a guild. You will not use the items in the guild that you're a member of but you will look at the guild counterclockwise one space and you will essentially pull goods or barrels or seals or whatever all that stuff from that guild into your own guild and you'll get some points that way and usually that's a little bit less effective than with than if you were the um guild master so those are the basic actions and and players are going to be taking turns doing these things, uh, only four per round, although there are some of those little cubes, some of those goods you can get throughout the game, they might give you the opportunity to have a fifth action in a round, and one type of good even gives you the opportunity to use two actions back-to-back, -back. it's a sequential action, so that you can kind of either like move into a place and influence, move an attack, do, you know, do a variety of things um, back to back so that your opponents can't react to your previous move before you do your next one. And that's just one of a number of different aspects of Feudum that are really advanced sort of play tactics. And this game, if you look on Board Game Geek, it will have a weight rating of about four and a half, which I think is high. I, I would personally, on the, on the Board Game Geek weight scale, I would say it's like a four. But, um... It's definitely got a lot of very intricate rules, uh, a lot of moving parts, as they say, and a lot of specifics. Because not only, for example, 
Um, not only can you control the different locations around the board, but each of those locations can hold a maximum of three influence markers from a maximum of two players. So the first player to go there, they influence that location, they, they're in control of it. Second player who comes, they'll go next to that location, they'll put their little influence marker, and they're now a serf, essentially. They're a subject of the, of the vassal of that area. But if they get a second one, then they've now taken over and essentially locked the other player out. Or if the first player had an influence, they could put a second one there so that no one could sort of usurp their power. And there's that aspect of the game, but also there are things that can be done throughout the game. For example, when you take an upgrade action, you will get a tile that corresponds to the area of the map in which that upgrade action was taken. And that tile can either be a wild good or resource, or printed on the back of it is a type of sort of secondary landscape area where you can play it down onto any location that you are not the vassal, you're not in control of the location, but you're a serf. And you can place that down using an upgrade action instead of upgrading the actual disc representing the location. And now you have sort of a side business at this town or, or farm or whatever where you are producing other goods. You might be mining sulfur. You might be um, farming. You might be uh, setting up an archery range. There's just a number of things you can do. And, and then you can gain goods and benefits though you can mine for just money for shillings you'll gain a benefit from this each and every era of the game then it'll compound there are also very specialized ways that you can take advantage of your opponents using some of these secondary actions that are shown at the bottom of each of the 11 action cards and six of them relate specifically to a type of pawn that you have out on the board. So say you have a merchant out on the board, you can perform what's called a money is influence action. Uh, when you do the, the main influence card, you can also do that money is influence and you can buy a player straight out of their position of power in a location without having to double the amount of influence that they have there, because if they already have someone on the disc, you would have to put one down next to the disc and then a second one in order to obtain power. But with this secondary action, and obviously there are other secondary actions that do different things in different instances, you know, different scenarios in the game, um, but with this particular one, you just pay some money and you put your guy down and just swap from being the subject to being the, the, the lord, essentially. So there's a lot of really specific stuff. There are these monsters that can roam the board. There's a behemoth and a sea serpent. There's the Sirens expansion where you can encounter this, this mermaid lady who will also help you fight or, or might hurt you, hinder you in your progress. You can buy different types of transportation to get around the board. There are some areas that you can't 
cross without going to the alchemist guild and buying an airship or buying a, a regular water ship or buying a submarine and by doing that it's the only way you can access either the tallest peaks to the right side of the board or some of the islands off to the left side of the board and some of that can be very important so the game's actions become very very intricate your decisions trying to figure out okay how am i going to use my four cards on this entire round and you're choosing these things at the beginning of the round and you're not only looking at a main action but you're looking at a secondary action and each one is very involved so maybe you can get an extra movement if you take a move action maybe you can do that money as influence maybe you can start tending landscapes you can make that your thing like instead of just trying to become the lord of many different locations you could just be like oh i'm, I'm just going to be the guy on the side and I'm going to be tending these landscapes, and that's going to help me. Or maybe you want to go the route of having the most influence in the different guilds and score the maximum number of points in each of the eras as you play through the game. And one way of doing that might be to upgrade, improve those different uh, location tiles, you know, from outpost to farm to town to feudum. Because when you do improve a town to a feudum, that feudum is related to one particular guild. And you get a big bonus in your in your influence or your your prestige in that guild, but now you've you've just committed because this is another sort of complex addition to the game um, is when you've got a feudum out on the board, you now are forced to commit acts of aggression. You know. Up until now, you're thinking, well, why did I ever need to attack an opponent? It seems like it could be played more like a Concordia, where you're just trying to expand your influence and and put your guys, your influence markers down on locations. Or like other area majority games, where you go back and forth with one player having control of a, of a town, and then another player coming and taking control. So that would be one, one type of of player interaction but in feudum now you can attack each other as well and the reason that you have to attack each other in some cases in some games of feudum is because once you do have a feudum now you have to at least successfully conquer an opponent three times throughout the game because at the end of a certain number of epochs you will lose a bunch of points. There are three spaces on the board where it says in epics two, four, and five, you're going to lose points. And then the second one, if you haven't done the second act of, of war, you're going to lose points in epic four and five. And if you haven't done the third one, you're going to lose points on epic five. So you just made the game more complex for yourself. You got this feudum, it's going to score you points, but now, oh, I've just committed to being a, a sort of warmonger. Or you can go another route and take the epic voyage, which is related to the move action. If you, if you do a move a couple times in a single round, you then get to go up on the epic voyage track, which is this interesting, completely separate track up in the mountains in the top corner of the board where like players might just have their discs there and they might not and the further you get the more points you get and you get some bonus cards as you go there are ways to get bonus goods 
if you have the right kind of pawn on the board. There's a way to get bonus influence markers if you have, I think, a knight on the board. So there's certainly a ton going on here. Now, the question is, is it fun? Like, it, it, is this an enjoyable game for all its complexity? And I have to say, definitely is. There are some aspects of Feudum that can be a little frustrating, like you might draw four of your cards with a plan, and then things go a little awry, and wait, oh no, now two of my cards are basically in my hand for nothing. I, I kind of just wasted half of my turn, like half of my round. And that sucks. That sucks to see. So I can understand a player wishing they could just choose their actions as they go, as opposed to having to anticipate what they're going to do in advance. Um, there's a lot of bookkeeping. You're going to have to pay attention for every pawn that you put out in a particular guild, you get status in the guild. For every feudum, you get more status. For every location of the matching type of that guild, you get more status. So people are going to be constantly moving their influence markers back and forth and up and down within each of the guilds. And speaking of guilds, like I played a game where basically everyone around the table was like, oh, so the guilds are the main way to get points. Let's all just do that. And like everyone was very focused on getting guild membership, doing the most powerful and, and highest point scoring actions they could in their guilds and just going up on those points, on the points track, on the veneration points track. But I also played a game where People were more focused on the map, and actually the map's kind of my favorite part. I like, I like just sort of moving around the map and, and starting to influence locations and, and gaining bonuses and points and multipliers through cards and things like that as a result of having presence in a, in a variety of places. And you get to score that over and over again also. So... So there is a lot there are a lot of options in the game. Like, you know, the there are multiple paths to victory. People talk about there being multiple paths to victory in some games, and in a lot of cases, there's there are essentially like a couple of different strategies that will win you the game. But in Feudum, I, I really do feel like there are vastly different approaches that you can take to the game and A have fun doing it and be, be successful doing it, and that's really great. I, I really appreciate that. What I do feel is that there might be just a few too many extra things in the game, which is fine. It all works. Like, literally everything in the game works fine. Um, but I don't think it all needs to be there. There, there are some, like, little details, which are so cool. Like, they're interesting, and they're funny even sometimes. Like, you can take the sulfur cubes that you get and right when you get them you could put it into a wine barrel on the board there's some art on the bottom of the board that represents your wine cellar because everyone has a wine cellar of course and there's a, a barrel in each color and a player can just drop his little sulfur right in one of those wine barrels and then at the end of an era you have to feed all your pawns that are out on the board so you have to spend a food for each pawn that's out there you can spend one of these wine and stick it on top of your pawn, and now he's fed for two rounds, but he's drunk. So if this pawn is ever attacked during this first round that he's nourished by the wine, 
or if, if he tries to attack, well, he can't attack because his attack and defense has been reduced to zero. And that's another intricate matter, is that each pawn has an attack value and a defense value. It's, it's just one, but like when you come across enemies using the uh, the attack and defend actions, you're gaining a plus one for the pawn, then a plus one if he has assault Peter, and then a plus one if you have a one of the royal writ cards that has a weapon on it, and on and on. And then there's defensive values for your guy, and then maybe your if it's a feudum, that has a defensive. So there's a ton of really intricate aspects of the game that really for just generally for a Euro game um, could have been smoothed a little bit. Now, I love the game. I think it's fantastic. But I, I do acknowledge that there is a level of smoothness that was foregone in favor of grandiosity. And it is grandiose. And apparently some people don't like the art, but that's ridiculous because this game has amazing artwork. Um, it's a wonderful production. All the pieces are really, really good. So you have these cubes for your pawns. They're like dice, but they're not wooden. They're like a, uh, like a resin. And the behemoth figure is resin. The, the serpent is resin. That mermaid's resin. You can get one of the expansions. has little conifer trees that you can put next to any of your locations. Um, and then they, they grow, like they attract squirrels, which can be used as food. This is one of the expansions. But it's just another example of this over-the-top intricacy to the game. Um, one of the expansions has a windmill, just for no reason. Just like it, it has a spinning blade. It's just there because you were the first one to do something. It's nuts. And then there's another expansion that has alter egos. So you replace all the 11 cards that came with the game with different ones. And now they do slightly different actions. And it's it's artwork of each of the personalities depicted on the board for each of the guilds. And they're wearing like disguises or goggles or a hat or something. It's funny. It's good. But it's, you know, it's a great production, but it's like... Some people might see it as too much. And there are moments playing the game when I'm like, mm, this was unnecessary. Or, you know, like this aspect could have been smoothed out. Um, there, are, there are little, so there are these little rivers throughout the board. So like I said, some areas you can only access if you have one of these ships, an airship or a regular ship or a submarine. And... If there are no ships available, there are these little rivers that you can take a rowboat on with this tiny, tiny little artwork of a rowboat and a two shillings icon. You can pay two shillings to go down the river to another location, but that's only open in a particular case if other forms of transportation aren't available, the Alchemist Guild. I don't know. Like... It was explained to me by the designer that it's it's a natural valve that opens and closes access to the board based on, you know, the availability of these things and, and it helps with player count scaling and such. But like 
it does it just seems like more stuff to remember while while it's interesting and clever and smart it just you can sort of you can trade in some of that cleverness and just use uh, a more elegant solution or a simpler more direct solution I guess some of the iconography is um, is pretty small on the board that's that's one thing that was sort of a consistent complaint um, not so much about the art in my personal experience I've heard that online but just the fact that the icons are just tiny a lot of the things are really tiny one that I personally actually hate um, is at the bottom of the board there are six stacks of those landscape tiles and they're stacked up one for each of the five epochs so there there's six stacks of five of these tiles and you pull one off when you take that upgrade act the improve action but the only way you know which one to take is by a tiny icon that's maybe like i don't know i've got to say like four millimeters to five millimeters tall, just above the space on the board, the square on the board for those tiles to sit. So A, it's tiny. B, I'm never really sure exactly which icon is which, because like the two of them, it's really just two of them look like it could be either one, because like one is a tree and one is a hill, but there are hills all over the place. Um, and then the main thing is that the icons are above where these stacks go. So the stacks, if you're looking at the board from the bottom of the board, from like right side up, the icon is completely obscured by the stack, whereas the icon could have been below. So there are, there are a few different things like that. And essentially the size of, of some of these icons are difficult. But as in any game, you learn it. I'm I'm rarely one to say, oh, a rule book sucks or a game's hard to learn because if you just read and pay attention most of the time, you can get it. So again, in this case, like the iconography isn't great, but you can learn it. Um, obviously, better iconography is better because it's easier to play the first time and still easier to play on all subsequent plays. Uh, but in either case, you end up learning. So, Feudum, for everything that it is, for this first-time design, this huge, heavy Euro, this sort of sprawling area influence type game, this, this map presence game with this cyclical economy game wrapped around it, these varying ways of earning points, regularly throughout the five epics of the game the different pursuits players can take from controlling areas to tending landscapes to mastering their guilds to making epic voyages to obtaining royal writs and multiplying their points etc etc um i think it's a great game i am gonna i'm gonna rate this game right here right now on the Gamer Node Show, final score. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. This is a commendable game, and it's well worth playing if you are a fan of, of, of these big, heavy, deep Euros because it offers something that you really don't get anywhere else. It's, 
it's big, it's complex, and really, it's a heavy euro that's drenched in this very particular theme, and you fall into this world, so it's incredibly thematic, and then it offers you aspects similar to like a 4X game. These conquer and defense actions incorporated with this area control, it feels like a little bit like a 4X there. I mean, obviously you're not, you're not uh, exploring new lands. Everything's out on the board as it is. But I mean, when you think about it, you are expanding because you're placing your influence on different locations. You're not exploring because everything's there. You're exploiting because at each of those locations, maybe you're not a vassal, but maybe you're tending the landscape and you're drawing things out of the land. And even if you are a vassal, if you're taking that tax action for money or the harvest action for goods or the explore action for cards, you're gaining something from having control of one of those three types. And then you have exterminate. You can kill off your opponents. If you kill off all their pawns, they've got to migrate a new pawn on. So it's it's kind of a 3x game. It's like a 3x euro as well. I tried to be clever and coin a new term when I was previewing the game. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of like a 3x with this whole economy wrapped around it. So that's Feudum. It's a 4 out of 5 for me. Really cool game. Um, if If you're not into really big and complex things, you might want to avoid it. And I do think it could have been developed a little bit more. Like, I think if it was developed more, this could have been a 5 out of 5 for sure. But um, as it is, it's it's really good. So that's a uh, commendable 4 out of 5. Feudum from Odd Bird Games and designer Mark Swanson. First time designer and his amazing artist commissioned for the work. Um, so that's it. That's going to, I think that'll wrap up today's GamerNode show. I just, I, I kind of just wanted to review Feudum. Super cool game and worth checking out, but beware it's not perfect. That's it. So keep it here. I'm going to try to get back on here and talk a little bit more about some other new stuff real soon. Until then, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash GamerNode, our Instagram, instagram.com slash GamerNode, or just at GamerNode, Twitter at GamerNode, and facebook.com slash GamerNode. It's GamerNode everywhere. If you put GamerNode into anything, either it's us or it's nobody. So that's that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, until next time, I'm Eddie Inzato. You guys have fun out there.